want you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3. I share with our weekend service team that my personality is a planner. I love having my ducks in a row in circles and lines and squares, however I can, as long as I know where they're at and where I've put them. And uh, one of the ways that God has wired me is I love to plan a scope and sequence of where God may take us through His Word as a church body. But I share often with our weekend team, this is the plan that we will punt from if the Holy Spirit leads us in another direction. I want you to know your uh, ministry team is so flexible. They're great to do that. But that's more of a reminder for me because that's hard for my personality to, to shift gears. But today is one of those days that I felt the Lord say, Brady, uh, we need to go a different direction than where my heart originally was. As uh, Pastor Edgar shared, this has been quite a week for a lot of us in a lot of different ways. And uh, I want us to look at what God would have to say to us in a time like this. What do you do when your world appears to be falling apart? What do you do when you get that dreaded call that says you have cancer? What do you do when your boss calls you into the office and he says, I'm sorry, we're, we're still having to cut back and, and I'm going to have to let you go? What do you do when you hear the news of a tragedy like we have this week of senseless killing of so many lives that were so young? What do you do when a loved one walks out the door and they walk out on a relationship? What do you do when someone close to you passes away and they were a pillar in your life? What do you do when an accident happens and it begins to change all the plans you had for the rest of your life? This is a question a guy named Jeremiah asked hundreds of years ago. Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament and During his lifetime, he saw a nation completely torn up. Here's what happened to his nation in Israel during his lifetime. There was an economic crisis. They were terrorized by a foreign enemy. That enemy actually came in and began to take people out into slavery. He witnessed incredible, inhumane actions over and over and over again. He saw all kinds of suffering, and every person around him was out of work. They were starving, literally starving to death. Now, during this time, Jeremiah wrote two books, the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is a very short book, and most people don't know a whole lot about this book. In fact, the word to lament is not one that we use a lot in our culture anymore. The Old English would use this as almost a term to describe complaining or crying out or just kind of airing it all out. You see, that's exactly what's happening here. When I unload my sins to God, I'm confessing to God. But when I give God my complaints or my heart cry, it's my lament to God. And so the book of Lamentations is literally a book of Jeremiah's complaints to God. It's not real positive. But there is a very positive message in the middle of this heartbreaking book. It's the message of there is hope and it tells us what we can do when we feel like our life is falling apart. I want us to look today at chapter 3 of 
the book of Lamentations together. Open your Bibles as we look verse by verse and we find six key lessons, six steps that we see Jeremiah give to us. Now, now let me say this. I hope today that you don't need this message. I hope that you go, I don't know what Pastor Brady's talking about. I'm, I'm having a pretty good week. I'm fine. I, I hope that's the case. But I want to challenge you that if you take notes at all, this is a message, if there ever is one, to take notes because we all know somebody whose their life is falling apart or they feel that way now. You see, if you don't remember a time when you felt like things were just coming undone, hang on, because in the course of your time on this earth, there will be many times when you feel like your life will fall apart. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 1, gives us this first key thought. In these times, we need to unload all our frustration on God. Now, now drop that down. Write that in there. And uh, I think in your, your uh, bulletin, there may be two sets of notes if there's one on Christmas, so we'll get to that next week. Uh, but pull out the one that, that talks about when my world falls apart. And number one, I, I need to unload all my frustrations on God. I need to just let God know exactly how I feel. There's a a catharsis that's happening here. Jeremiah is incredibly bold. Now look at this. As he's pouring out his heart to God, he just calls God out. And he says, this is exactly how I feel. He says, God, I don't like what's going on, and I want to tell you about it. He lets his full anger flourish in front of God. Let me just read a few verses, starting at verse 1. I am a man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin grow old and broken my bones. He has surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, He shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. And that, that's in the Bible. And it's hard to, to imagine. If you haven't read that before, it's, it seems kind of harsh. I mean, He's just he's calling God out. He's just... Jabbing right back at God. Why in the world would God allow this to be a part of His holy scriptures? I tell you why. Jeremiah is saying, God, this stinks. I don't like it. And God wants us to know that He can handle our anger. There's nothing that we can feel. There's nothing that we could say that God can't handle. God wants us to know that He is big enough to handle our frustration. God is allowing Jeremiah just to blow off some steam. Now now listen to this. Don't miss this. If you don't talk out your emotions to God, you're going to end up taking them out on your body. If you don't speak them out to a safe place like your Heavenly Father, you'll end up taking them out on your body. When you don't speak out your emotions, your stomach begins to keep score. Your body pays the price of holding in your anger. God says, it's okay, I can handle this. Go ahead and tell me how you are feeling. Now, I know it's not true for for any of you. It never happened in your life. But 
in, in my house, when my daughter Caden was younger, and some weeks, some days, it still happens, when I give her some instruction of what she needs to do, she doesn't like it, she may just throw a little temper tantrum. Now, no one in here ever did that, did we? And you know what I'm speaking about is it's a direction that's been given to you from your parent and you say, I don't like it. I'm not going to do it. We fall to our knees. We lay on our stomach. We pound our fist to the floor. We kick our feet and we throw a fit. Now, when Caden has done that before, did it make me feel any less of a father? No. Did it make me want to change my mind? Absolutely not. Did it make me question, am I doing the wrong thing? No. Did it make me love her any less? Of course not. You see, it it just showed me that I could see some things that my immature daughter could not see, and I knew that I had to do what was best for her, no matter if she liked it or not. You see, this is tough for us to hear today. I don't say this lightly, but there's some times in our life that we need to hear the truth on this. God does not owe you and God does not owe me an explanation for every single thing that happens to us in our life. You see, God is God and you and I are not God. A lot of things that happen to us in this life, we just will not understand this side of heaven. Jesus tells his disciples, you don't understand what's happening right now, but you will later. Most of the things I would suggest that we face that are troublesome to us, we really don't have full understanding of them until we get to heaven. But see, God doesn't offer an explanation every single time, and and that can be aggravating to us. It can cause us to want to just spiritually lay on the floor and stomp our hands and feet and say, God, I don't like this, it's not fair, and we need to unload those to God, but we need to understand that God won't always explain everything. Because the fact is, it, it it doesn't change what we're feeling, and God knows that. Even if we had His understanding, we would probably say, I still don't like it. And God would say, I... I'm going to allow this, or I'm going to cause this. Now take note that there are two very different things there, when God allows something and then when God causes something, but that's for another message we'll talk on later. So God can handle our temper tantrums, and He's not going to love us any less. And so once we have completed this step, or we've gone through this step of of spiritually vomiting on God, blah, this is how I feel about you, Jeremiah leads us to the second point. To turn my focus from my pain to God's love. Turning my focus from my pain to God's love. Lamentations three nineteen through 26. Listen to these words. The thought of my pain and my homelessness is bitter poison. I think of it constantly and my spirit is depressed. Yet hope returns when I remember this one thing. The Lord's unfailing love and mercy still continue, fresh as the morning, as sure as the sunrise. The Lord is all I have, so in Him I put my hope. This thought of my pain, is it's bitter poison. It's its eating me up. When I focus on my pain, give all my attention to my pain, it's not hurting anybody else but me. Jeremiah says, He thinks about it constantly. It makes him depressed. 
Friend, you and I, we will never be free from our depression until we are willing to let it go and begin to allow God to change our thinking. When we think on this one thing, what is it? This one thing that he remembers, the Lord's unfailing love. His mercy still continues. I put my hope in him. Do you know that even when I'm lashing out at God, when I am just giving it to God, he still loves me. That is amazing. And Jeremiah found hope when he would take his eyes, his focus off of his pain and begin to put it on God's love. See, you don't know that God is all you need until you see that God is all that you have. You've heard that said before. You see, sometimes I believe that God allows things to happen to us, not that he wanted them to happen. It breaks his heart, but he allows us to come to the end of ourselves to see that he is more than enough even when we feel we have lost everything. Lamentations three thirty-one through 33. The Lord is merciful and we're not Reject us forever. He may bring us sorrow, but his love for us is sure and strong. He takes no pleasure in causing us grief or pain. I I think that some people feel like God just enjoys to inflict pain on us. And when we feel that way, as Jeremiah has taught us, it's, it's appropriate to, to tell God how we feel, but we need to know in our knower, in our heart, and understand that God does not enjoy the pain that we walk through. In fact, He's grieving with you. We're to unload our frustration on God, turn my focus from my pain to God's love, and, and third, Jeremiah is calling us to get alone with God and to wait. This is a, a third step that is so key in the healing and rebuilding process. When we've walked through a tragedy, when we've gone through a loss, we need to get alone with God and learn to wait. Waiting is a, a spiritual discipline. You must learn how to wait on God or else you're going to be stressed out the rest of your life. I can always tell the people who've not learned to wait on God because they live and they move in a frantic pace of anxiety. But when we learn to wait on God, it's the greatest de-stressor that we could ever experience. What does it mean to wait on God? It means that you sit down and you shut up. Can we say that in church? It means that we, we sit down and we be quiet before God. You don't say anything. You don't ask for anything. You just be quiet and you listen to God. Make time with God to wait on Him every day. And we call this our quiet time, our devotional time. And, and yes, we are to read God's Word. And yes, we are to pray. And we get to that. But what would happen if we would stop and just wait on God first? To get alone and wait on Him. Many of us, we can't go ten minutes waiting on God in the course of a week. But I want to challenge you for the next seven days just to take 15 minutes a day just to be quiet before God and to wait on Him. Before you pray, wait. Before you read, wait. This will revolutionize the stress level in your life. Lamentations 3, 28 and 29, paraphrased in the message. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself. Enter the silence. Bow in prayer. Don't ask questions. Wait for hope 
to appear. See, the reason that many of us feel hopeless is we're not waiting for hope to appear. We're rushing around trying to provide answers, and guess what? You don't have the answer, and neither do I. Sometimes in a panic, in a moment of loss, we rush to explain away everything, and we just need to wait on God. God wants to talk to you. I don't know if I've, I've heard God that way. But God's waiting for you to to stop. All your circuits are busy. He tries to talk to you and you're on the other line. He tries to talk to you and you're plugged into your iPod, your iPad, your radio, the TV. You're, You're making calls to people. You're receiving calls. You're texting. You're trying to multitask everywhere and God can't get a word in edgewise. He's longing to speak to you. Wait on Him. Now notice in this paraphrase that gives us a fresh look at this, entering into his silence. What would it mean for us to get into a place of receptivity? You need to get in a a position in your body, in your mind, to receive what it is that God wants to say. Learning to get alone and wait on him. 25 through 26 tells us, The Lord is good to everyone who trusts in him. So it is best for us to wait in patience, to wait for him to save us. I want to encourage you to take that challenge this week. Just 15 minutes a day to wait on God. Next, we see Jeremiah giving us this fourth. It's a challenge while we're waiting, and it's the challenge to change the things that we can change. When we're going through pain and heartache and recovering from a tragedy, from a loss, as we get alone and wait on God, we need to change the things that we can change. And let me be clear, there's a lot of things in your life that you cannot change. You'll never be able to change. You'll never be able to change your past. It's done. It's over. It's gone. You cannot change it. You cannot change who your parents are. You cannot change your natural gifts or lack thereof. You cannot change a particular handicap you may have. You cannot change that fact that you have lost a loved one. There is A list that goes on and on of the things you cannot change. And you can only overcome them by accepting them as things that you cannot change. You know the prayer that we have heard a number of times before. Lord, help me change the things that I can and accept the things that I cannot change. And the wisdom to know the difference. See, when I accept the things that that can't be changed, I have to realize there's some things I can change. And when we're coming through loss and pain and and hurting, when our world feels like it's falling apart, what can I change? I can't control all this. You and I can change ourselves. We can change us. We can start by allowing God to, to work on us. We need to have an honest evaluation of our life, an inventory of our life. How is my relationship to God the Father? How is my relationship to my spouse, to my kids, to my family, to my co-workers? What are the habits and hang-ups and, and hurts, the disobedience in my life that's pulling me down? What is an honest inventory of my life? Lamentations 3 verse 40 says this, let us examine our ways and test them. Let us return to the Lord. Returning. You know the word repent is is to turn back. When I return to the Lord, I'm repenting. I want to be back in right relationship with God. 
When we begin to do this fourth step that Jeremiah is giving to us, this fourth key thought as we find hope after our world seems to fall apart, there's all kinds of emotions that will scream out to you. If you really try to live this out, your emotions will overwhelm you, and I want to focus on one that I think can be the most damaging. It's the emotion of fear. It will paralyze you. Jeremiah had real fear. He had very good reason to be fearful. And those days, when someone didn't like you, they didn't have a blog where they would just write all kinds of nasty things about you. They didn't have some kind of uh, technology where you could throw a verbal grenade at somebody. No, if you were hacked off at someone, you'd grab them and you'd throw them in a pit. You'd throw them in a well. And just let them sit there for a few days. That's how I'm going to get back at you. And, and that's exactly what the scripture says is happening to Jeremiah. No one liked the truth in his message that he was giving. He was a very unpopular guy at the time. He held to the truth. They didn't want to hear it. And so they threw him in a pit. And he says, the water is coming up over my head. And, and get this, they're throwing rocks down on him at the same time. I'm not making this up. Look in your Bible. Look in your outline. Lamentations 3, 53 through 57. My enemies threw me into a pit and dropped stones on me. The water flowed above my head. I cried out, this is the end. But I called on your name, Lord, from deep within the well. And you heard me. You listened to my pleading. You heard my weeping. Yes, you came at my despairing cry and told me, do not fear. This is what he needed to hear. In Scripture, there's, there's over 365 fear nots in the Bible. That's conveniently wonderful. One for every day of the year. That God tells us, you can lash out at me. You can tell me all your feelings. You can complain to me. You can doubt. You can have all these things. But fear not. Why? Because fear destroys the rebuilding faster than anything else in our life. The next thing that Jeremiah screams out to us to learn is, number five, to ask God to relieve my fears. We're to do what David did. Psalm 34, 4 tells us, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me, freeing me from all my fear. See, one of the biggest fears I think that people have is that their situation is beyond repair. That they themselves are beyond repair. That they're worthless, that their situation is hopeless. Friend, it's when you come to the place where you think that it's not quite there, but I'm just centimeters away from hopelessness. I'm not quite at being absolutely worthless, but I'm just millimeters away from being worthless. You need to hear that you are wrong. If you think your life is beyond repair, you are wrong. If you think that you cannot be restored, you are wrong. If you think that your best days behind you is all that you have to look forward to, is the best from the past, nothing good in the future, you are wrong. If you think it's impossible for God to bring good out of the tragic situation you find yourself in, you are wrong. Jesus Christ is in the business of restoring reconditioning, refurbishing, renewing, recovering that which was lost and broken. That's what Jesus is all about. He has hope for you today. The final thought that I think Jeremiah wants us to catch from his lamenting to God is to expect Jesus to restore my life. 
Here's what he prayed in Lamentations 5.21. Restore us, O Lord. Bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys we once had. When you let Jesus bring you back to him, he will bring back the joy. When you allow God to bring you back to Jesus, he will bring his joy back into your life. Now, don't misunderstand me. This doesn't mean that you will never have a bump in the road again. It's far greater than that. It means in the midst of the tragedy and the healing from the tragedy that there is hope because you are placing your trust in something far bigger than what the crisis is. As I was reading this morning, I've read it before, but after Friday I kind of read it different. Here the Messiah is born and the senseless killing of hundreds and hundreds and thousands of baby boys was commanded by Herod. It make any sense to me. In the middle of this joyous occasion that an Advent were waiting for the birth of Jesus and celebrating and what is this? I think Jeremiah would cry out to us and say, It breaks God's heart when his kids go through suffering and pain. But the Messiah, the birth of Jesus, came in the middle of all kinds of senseless pain and hurt and loss. We've got to unload our frustrations on God. It'll eat us up. We have got to turn our focus from my own pain and focus on God's love. We will miss what he has for us in healing. We've got to get alone with God and wait on him and stop trying to figure everything out. We've got to change the things that God has called us to change. And we've got to ask him to relieve us from the fear and to expect that Jesus will restore us. As we come to a close this morning, I want to ask you just where you're at. To do what Jeremiah talks about is getting in a position to receive, to hear from God. Some of you, that's closing your eyes, bowing your head. Others, you may just want to kneel at your seat. Some of you, you may want to stand before God. Some may want to come forward and pray. I I really don't care because it's the conversation between you and your dad. Some of you, you may or may not have the boldness physically, outwardly, to get in the position, but your heart, your spirit is in a tantrum. Fists are flailing, feet are stomping. You're not threatening God. He doesn't love you less. You just let Him have it and let Him walk you through the range of emotions that you have. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, It's in moments like this where we as a community have experienced loss ourselves. Lord, I thank you that Christina right now is in great celebration in heaven with you. We are the ones mourning in sorrow, but she is lifting her voice and her hands in praise to you. And we celebrate that. But Father, our heart is broken today. We are grieving today. 
And I thank you that it's not just a hope or a wish, but you have given concrete evidence in your word that you can restore us and you can be our God even when our world seems to be falling apart. Father, I think of the families who I don't know, but the sheer thought of losing such a young child and such a senseless act just makes me angry. It makes me weep, and I don't even know who they are. It reminds me, God, that in our community, we are surrounded by people who are wrestling with things that just don't make sense. I pray today that you will be our God of hope. And just like you did with Jeremiah, you will walk us through these steps and allow us to see that you are still sovereign today. You're not in heaven wringing your hands, wondering what's going to happen, fretting. You are there. Your heart is broken because we're hurting. And you offer hope to us. Thank you, Jesus. Though we don't see it right now, most likely, I thank you for the restoration you are bringing. And it's on its way. In your powerful name, I pray today. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. As you take off today, ask God, how can you let this seed blossom in my heart? And who could I share it with that it may give hope to them? Have a blessed day. See you tonight at 6.